Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo. I'm joined tonight uh, by my co-host, Dan Smith. Dan, have you done a football pod, or have you been uh, exclusively basketball over the history of our our fun and wacky site? I believe, and maybe a better historian of the podcast can correct me, I believe I have done one football podcast for Roar Lions, Roar, and I think it was maybe three years ago. Yeah, this is a... We, we like to keep the basketball pod crew in one place because uh, we're we're insane people when we talk about Penn State basketball. But I feel like that lunacy uh, is now going to help us a little bit as we try and talk about this current Penn State team. And we're going to be doing something a little bit different this week. Normally, Yeah, we'll be- I, I, I would Good. agree with you. that I don't think anybody is better prepared to discuss the 2020 Penn State football team than uh, Penn State basketball fans. <laughs> so... This week we're doing something a little different. Um, normally when you come to us for the later in the week pod, it is a preview of that week's game against uh, whomever Penn State's going to be playing. And this week Penn State is going to be taking on uh, an 0-2 Nebraska team. Uh, Nebraska's not particularly great. 52-17 loss to Ohio State to start the year. Their second game of the year against Wisconsin got canceled. And then last week, 21-13 loss to Northwestern. If you're going to watch the game, kicks off at noon on FS1. It is in Lincoln. Um, it, it, it's a game that's tough to talk about in one part. Because, you know, the sample size on Nebraska is a little bit smaller. They're, you know, they're just not a great football team. All those things. But at the same time, this is a point Dan made uh, that Dan made before we started the podcast. And Dan, if you want to, uh, I'll give you a chance to elaborate on it a bit. But it's really hard to talk about Penn State games because so much of what's going on with Penn State this year is uh, of their own undoing. Yeah, and it's definitely an argument of convenience because I know nothing about Nebraska football. Uh, I know that they're the uh, the fan base that uh, made a lot of noise about uh, shutdowns and COVID and whatnot, and I know that their coach Scott Frost used to coach at UCF, and that's about it. Um, so it is a, it is definitely an argument of convenience, but it's also very true. Is I'm not sure what value there would be in talking about the matchups and everything like that when. You know, it's it's all, you know, back to the basics, I would say, with Penn State football right now. And, uh, you know, a lot of people who need to sort of, you know, get out of their own heads. I know you and Matt uh, harped on the point quite a bit in the Maryland recap podcast about uh, the sort of hangover effect of the losses and, you know, allowing the concerns that they have to get in their head there. And I think. That's probably true to an extent, and I think a great reason why you know we should probably uh, stay there with them. For sure, and the reason that uh, the the part of the reason that this podcast works out as well as I think it's going to is those of you who read our site know that every week for the last couple of seasons, Dan has done uh, a snap counts post where he goes through every play on offense, every play on defense, and keeps a tally of who gets X number of snaps at Penn State's various positions. Season and number six now. Season number six. God bless that you. Uh, Dan has probably watched more Penn State football over the last six years than any of us, solely by nature of like having to meticulously go back and do it. Just Dan, real quick before we get into what we're going to be doing on this, uh, is there a uh, 
network that you have a strong preference when it comes to broadcasting games, uh, both because of the quality of the announcers and the quality of their uh, streaming capabilities when you go back and watch? Not really. They're all a little bit of a pain to go back and rewatch with. You know, the the easiest thing is for it, whenever there's a game that is posted in full on YouTube, and I can find that because it's the easiest to sort of uh, go around, um, you know, on a replay with watching a replay is different too, because I'm doing a lot of pausing and trying to skip ahead, but not too far ahead kind of things, uh, when you're doing that. Um, so, uh, and, and a lot of the networks have had changes to their, you know, broadcasting lineups. I'd say the bigger name ones tend to be good. I used to like the combination of uh, Bob Oshusen and, and Bob, Brock Heward quite a bit. I thought that they were a, an entertaining listen. Um, I remember they did a, uh, the Penn State Indiana game, I want to say in 2018. And that was pretty fun. I believe Heward's now with Fox. Um, yeah. you know, so, and, but no, I thought that they were good at that time. Um, I like Fowler and Herb street. I think they're good. Um, I'm not as big a fan of Gus Johnson as some other people are, because I, I think that he, uh, doesn't um, and this is me speaking as a uh, somebody who went to school for broadcasting. I, I I think that Gus Johnson struggles with preparation a little bit. I think it matters less when you're talking about basketball because they're you know throughout the course of the game you can kind of pick up on you know eight players on each team. But with football, with so many names and so many players, you really have to prepare to to do a good broadcast. And I'm not sure that he's as good at that as some other people are. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, um, I, that's, those are just a couple of my my quick hits there. Um, I know this most recent game. I, I didn't honestly, I did not recognize Matt Millen um, pretty much until I think halftime uh, when I saw that it was him when they were doing sort of the coming back from the, for the third quarter. Um, and I don't even remember who who the play by play was, but I was surprised that I, I I think I thought Millen retired. I know he had a health issue. I didn't think he was still doing games. Um, but I, for whatever reason, I didn't even recognize him. I just was uh, finding myself increasingly uh, irritated, and then sort of enjoying in a hate watch type way <laughs> the constant repetition of him saying "We got the funk" every time that uh, Funk got the football. <laughs> you know, it, it, it was like. It, he got made fun of for the first time he did it. And then he just kept saying it every single time. And I'm, I'm not like he did it two or three more times, like eight times, 10 times. He kept going back to that. Well, just terrific. Yeah. Uh, also Millen is M- Millen is fun because you, I, I don't know about you, but I very much got the sense that he was like getting increasingly angry over the course of the game over like, Sean Clifford air, air mailing passes and the offensive line collapsing and all that. And I, th- this is what I love about Brock Heward. Um, when Brock Heward is disgusted with something, he like cannot stop himself from expressing that. And Millen, I think, only does that with Penn State, which is a, a nice little uh, reminder of what his alma mater is. Yeah, but Heward would always go some, with, with some line about like, he's got to go out there and he's got to trust his buddies. You know, something like that when they, when the, if the quarterback is, I guess, trying to do something too hard. And I, he, he likes to say buddies a lot, referring to the teammates. But I, no, I liked Heward. And yeah, I mean, Millen, I think, yeah, he's, I mean, I, I think a lot of broadcasters, as they age, get into the, and the sort of, you know, more curmudgeonly role. And I think that he was, in a certain respect, you know, doing that uh, with that broadcast. But, you know, it, it was, it's like uh, it's like we say we you know we've we've sort of made reference sometimes in in some of our group chats to the uh, the athletic uh, 
recruiting analyst Ari Wasserman, <clears throat> excuse me, and he constantly harping on, you know, how Franklin isn't living up to his name with the recruiting and everything. And much like what I'm about to say with Millen is it's very frustrating when they're doing that bit for so long that they finally are doing it when they're actually correct and accurate and you can't really say anything about it. So it's sort of where we got to. Which is a great way to talk about your program. (laughs) They finally got so bad that the haters are right. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go. And that, that tangent aside, uh, other than I always like getting Dan to mention Gus Johnson because invariably someone will get very mad, even though uh, he's not necessarily wrong. Gus, uh, Gus can lose his fast. I, no, I, I don't have a particular problem with him. I understand his excitement. I think he's great. Oh yeah, at doing the March Madness. It's particularly because with the March Madness, almost nobody's prepared for those games because there's so you know you have to do four games in a day, and you know you're learning about the players right along with kind of the audience, and I think there's a charm to that. I think I just think he because of that he kind of peaked in like 2006 when he you know he just had a great run of games that he had to do, and uh, you know I think I think he has leaned a little bit too much into the things that people liked about that, uh, you know, but I think many broadcasters fall in that trap. It's, it's a tough, uh, it's a tough job to do. Yeah. Tough gig. But yes, that, uh, tangent aside, uh, the reason I wanted to have Dan on is because as our snap counts guy, we've been talking so much about Penn state's issues. And I think a good way to get a sense of Penn state's Issues is to kind of pop the hood and look at the players they're using, how they're using them, when they're using them, those sorts of things. And what we're going to do on this episode of the podcast is we're going to go position by position, offense and defense, then have a few questions at the end, and basically discuss what Penn State is doing at each of them. And Dan, uh, the shortest conversation that we're going to have is the first one, Penn State's quarterback. Uh, Sean Clifford has taken all but what two snaps this season. Yeah, and and it was um, I think it was the it would have been three, but uh, they had a delay a game the first time they tried to put Will Levis in, um, and then it was the uh, doomed Will Levis fumble inside the ten against Indiana, and then there was one third down play against Ohio State where. Clifford had his helmet knocked off and Levis came in on that one. And that's it. I mean, they don't really rotate quarterbacks. They've, you know, I, they, they, they tried to do the Tommy Stevens thing with Levis a little bit. Uh, that's obviously not been uh, as successful. Um, I, and honestly, the Stevens thing was sort of a, you know, 2016 thing. I think, you know, beyond that, it wasn't really very successful either. I'm not a big fan of that anyway. I'm not a big Taysom Hill fan for the New Orleans Saints. I just, I think that, the gimmick runs out quick, you know. Um, but yeah, they they ride Clifford, you know, uh, as far as they can go. And Levis is obviously not a guy, you know. He's a he's a gadget player. He's not a guy that they're you know looking at as the you know any sort of heir apparent to Sean Clifford. Uh, and I think that that's if you even if you were unsure about that, that's become pretty clear in these first three games. And uh, frankly, it doesn't seem like uh, they they view that way with uh, Juan Roberson either. And uh, you know, it's. Um, well, that's it. Sort of leaves you in this situation where you know they're going to probably sink or swim quite a bit with how uh, Clifford goes. Uh, you know, over these next few games here. Yeah, uh, after the Maryland game, James Franklin told the media, and this quotes from uh, Onward State Sports: uh, "For me, with starting quarterbacks, you want to give." You want to do everything you possibly can to give them a chance. In the second half, we still felt like we had an opportunity to go out and swing this thing in the other direction. Um, 
we will let you head into the comments and tell us whether you think that was the case or not, humble listener. But uh, just, Dan, real quick, when it comes to quarterbacks, uh, one thing that I'm with you completely on the Lion package stuff, I really do not like. I I do not like anything that, and, and I've expressed this on the pod, that requires taking off a skill position player to put in a quarterback. So what it sounds like you're saying is they've gotten away from that Lion package uh, generally, and they've only used Will Levis, like they haven't had Levis and Clifford on the field at the same time. Is that correct? Yeah, and that, I mean that is definitely a difference between what um, you know what they had done with Tommy Stevens because Stevens would often come on for you know a tight end or a, a running back. I'd say a running back probably most frequently, um, you know, in those cases. And yeah, that's not uh, been the case with Levis. It's usually been a one for one. Um, you know, it was a little bit different last year, obviously with a different offense. But yeah, I mean they they have not done two QB packages really at all with. Uh, with uh, Clifford and Levis, you know, under the new regime with Kirk Scirocco. Get, getting into the more interesting positions, uh, starting with running back, uh, obviously Penn State got a big bit of news with this running back position this week uh, in that there's, you know, Journey Brown's not going to be able to play. Uh, he unfortunately had to retire from football due to the same heart condition that ended up costing former Penn State uh, offensive line recruit Nana Asidu his career. Uh, obviously, we want nothing but the best for Journey. By all, by all accounts, uh, he is the consummate teammate, great person, and someone whose presence is still very much uh, valuable in Penn State's locker room. But Penn State, beyond Brown, also lost Noah Kane, who it seemed like they built an offense around what Noah Kane is capable of doing it with the football. And that has left them in this really weird spot with their running game. Uh, I mentioned this on the pod earlier in the week. Penn State's top rusher this season has been Sean Clifford, 52 attempts, 150 yards. Then behind him, Devin Ford, 37 for 141. Kaziah Holmes, 14 for 45. Kayvon Lee, 7 for 38. So, Dan, what has basically been the breakdown of snaps there? Is Penn State getting those young dudes on the field or uh, is Penn State getting those dudes on the field enough that they are able to uh, get really valuable experience or is it a, we're going to give Devin a break here because uh, or Kayvon gets a series here or there. The Maryland game is the first time that they seemed to make a concerted effort to try to work one of the two true freshmen into the game. Holmes being the one who, who, you know, was mostly the focus afterwards. And I think that that makes sense. It was a little surprising that, uh, Kevon Lee was the one who was, I, I think, showed out a little more in the first game because I think by most accounts, uh, Holmes was, you know, a little more, uh, you know, game ready coming into the season. But the, you know, I, it, I think it was particularly true what you were saying about building it around Noah Kane. I think that was absolutely the case with the Indiana game. And it makes sense. They were, you know, Noah Kane was the starting running back at that point. And they, they definitely, you know, I think his style fits well with the, uh, you know, with the blocking scheme that Siraka is trying to put in with the new zone blocking scheme. And Devin Ford's not that. Noah Kane's a north-south runner who, you know, puts his head down, find, you know, one hole, hit it. And, you know, it seemed like he was an automatic four yards at least, you know, every time, uh, you know, he ran for the most part, you know, over the last, uh, you know, year that he's been playing. Um, Ford's not that. Ford's a bit of a dancer, um, you know, and he's, you know, it's one of those, you know, players where, I think it was ex- extremely successful 
uh, at the high school level. And now that there are, you know, bigger, faster guys around, uh, the holes that he's waiting to see often, you know, aren't there or disappear much quicker than they used to. And it's an adjustment. And I think, you know, he would have been a great third running back for this team. I think as the lead back, he's not ready yet. I th- and I think that's pretty, you know, uh, evident to uh, anybody who's, who's what, you know, coming in there. And, you know, I think the hope is that, you know, Holmes and Lee, who are a little bit of bigger running backs, Lee in particular, that, you know, they can, uh, you know, be prepared enough to uh, come in there and, you know, take some of those yards. But the main thing is that they have to have a lead to be able to do that. Um, and they haven't been in those situations. And one thing that Ford absolutely has, you know, a leg up on them on is that Ford is actually is something that really jumped out on, on tape. We're watching the games and I am not a coach. I never played football, but Ford is already as a sophomore, really good at picking up the blitz. And you often hear coaches talk about how tough it is to get freshman running backs in the field because they struggle with that. I don't know that Holmes and Lee are not, but I would imagine that it's something that is a work in progress for both of them just because that's where freshmen usually are. Ford's done very well with it. And especially when you have a quarterback who's got the happy feet, I think that's you know one of the big strengths of Ford that's keeping him on the field and is going to keep him on the field as the starter no matter really what happens is that uh, you know they're, they, with how much they plan to pass the ball, you need a guy who can stay back there and, and throw those blocks when they need it. He's been up to the challenge. Um, you know, I think you would see more of Holmes and Lee getting into these situations if Penn State was you know, running an offense with a lead, but they haven't really been in that situation, I think, at, at any point this season, right? I, don't, I think that they've been pretty much trying to come back the whole time, uh, as far as I can remember. Maybe, yeah. Maybe I mean, the first possession of Indiana, they scored, and then I think since then it's pretty much been them playing from behind the whole way. Right. They scored against Indiana, and then Indiana just went, like to go ahead, and then Indiana came on the field if memory serves. Like, I don't think they were ever really in a position where they um... – Right. I mean, by the yeah. time Indiana took the lead in that game, it was still the you know the, the first or second quarter. Right, and yeah, exactly. you're talking about trying to do what they did against Iowa with Noah Kane last year. I think Holmes and Lee would both be able to, uh, you know, work in something like that. But you have to be in that situation. And they have, you know, it's, it's a three-game sample size, but they haven't gotten there yet. Right. I will say this. Um, Holmes got the most snaps of any second running back the Penn State has had this season to the last game. He had 32. Um, it looks like Ford has stayed pretty consistent. Uh, but my, my guess, uh, you know, Dan, if you there's anything you can add to this, by all means, uh, they just didn't want Devin Ford playing 100 snaps on offense like Sean Clifford did. But... Yeah, and, and they it, it's often dependent upon, you know, sort of how drives go, you know, and, and right. it happened to be that Holmes was on for one of those extended. I mean, they had long drives in that game. They had a, a hundred snaps on offense, which that might be the most that they've had in the six years that I've been doing this. You know, they've, they've had a couple of games where they went over a hundred snaps on defense. I don't remember them ever doing that on, on the offensive side of the ball. Um, you know, they in fact, they often were you know quite a bit lower than that in, in most of their games. Um, you know, and so th- that's something that was pretty new to, uh, to see them being on there for that much. So that certainly had something to do with it, I think, but it's also, yeah, they, they had some extended drives and it happened to be that Holmes was uh, in the game for a couple of those. And, you know, he was part of the reason that they were, you know, continuing to move the football. So, you know, you usually kind of play the hot hand and, uh, you know, it's, I think people were worried that they didn't do that enough in the Indiana game. Um, but you know, I think that they're you know, leaning into it a little bit more here. 
So, you know, I think, uh, you know, Lee played well in the Indiana game. He was the first one who came in against Ohio State, but, you know, he, he didn't show as much in that game, uh, nor did really anybody with the running game. Uh, but, you know, they're, it doesn't seem like they're, you know, uh, ignoring the results in the field, I would say, uh, when it comes to the running back situation. I think they just uh, have been mostly in a tight spot so far this season. Moving to wide receiver, I mean, this one seems pretty easy to me, Dan. Uh, they have two guys that it seems like they trust completely. Uh, the third guy is cut between a couple of dudes, uh, and then it's just kind of figuring things out from there. But at least at the very top, it seems like wide receiver, there is uh, zero drama there. Dotson and Washington are pretty secure in their jobs right now. Uh, Washington had a couple of close plays in that game against Maryland where, you know, the ball was there, but it was, you know, a difficult catch. Uh, But he also made some tough catches, especially in the second half of that game, uh, some contested catches. They have confidence in Parker Washington. I think Clifford's starting to develop a little bit of confidence. He certainly has thrown his way a decent amount in addition to Dotson and Fryermuth, who are is obviously – obvious, uh, you know, go-to targets. Um, so Washington, I think, is very secure as the slot receiver, which I think they are more than happy to to continue, you know, rolling them out there because it allows them to keep Dotson on the outside and, and only have to worry about one of those positions. Um, the the other position, the, the third wide receiver position, the, the other outside position is really where there's uh, uncertainty because nobody's stepping up to take that job. Um, they started uh, Keandre Lambert-Smith uh, in – uh, I believe he actually started both the Ohio State and uh, Maryland game. I don't think he was the quote-unquote official starter in the Ohio State game, but he was actually out on the field on their first offensive possession, if memory serves me. Um, so, you know, he's somebody who they're, you know, they're, they're giving some chances to, but he really struggled early in the Maryland game at a couple of, uh, of, of bad plays, and they really did not go to him again. Uh, later so that we saw more of TJ Jones. He actually played more than Keandre Lambert Smith was his debut on offense really uh, this season. You know, he played a couple of snaps last year, uh, you know, in the non-conference as a true freshman, but uh, maintained his redshirt, didn't really play. And Daniel George, who, you know, played a decent amount last year was starting at some points after uh, Justin Shorter left. Um, he has not really done anything. Um, you know, he just doesn't really, he just seems to struggle to, to really get open, um, you know, I'm sure there's a little bit of, uh, you know, Clifford locking in on people, which we know he's he's going to do. And you're obviously going to, you know, on an offense where you know that your quarterback tends to do that, you're going to run a lot of your plays where the first option is, is Fryermuth or is Dotson. So, you know, I think it's it, there's a little bit of a chicken egg thing there now, you know, because of where they are with Clifford. But you know, he, um, you know, it's not like I'm seeing a lot of plays where he's, you know, we've got somebody out with the telestrator saying, you know, oh, they missed wide open Daniel George over here. It just seems like, you know, route running has been, a, you know, and getting separation has been tough for him. And so that third wide receiver position, um, you know, I think, I think they're going to give Lambert Smith every opportunity to try to do that because he's, you know, seems to have, you know, more of a high ceiling, more of a dynamic aspect to his game where, you know, there's some big play potential there. Uh, you know, I know they like him. I know that they've talked about it. And, you know, I think the Maryland game was just one where he, you know, sh- made some true freshman mistakes. You know, they they had some other guys get some looks, uh, you know, but I would not be surprised to see Lambert Smith out there getting, you know, plenty of opportunities uh, again against Nebraska. Yeah. Uh, then the only other dude uh, than those few who has re- gotten any snaps uh, appears to be Isaac Lutz. Uh, 
I, I maybe yeah. yeah, maybe a former walk-on. He's, but they 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 have a a little bit of a habit, and they I don't know that they were necessarily trying to replicate this. For one, he's playing in the slot, uh, but they used to do with uh, Dan Trezena last season. They used to have him come in there uh, specifically just for one play to have him go deep, basically because he's a sprinter. And they put him in there, you know, knowing okay, we're going to get somebody a breather. He's going to go deep, and then we'll put that guy back in. And they did that. Uh, more frequently than I think people realized uh, last year with um, with Dan Trezena because there were some times where they didn't throw it to him. But uh, they did do that a couple of times with Lutz in the second half where he did sort of, you know, come in, go deep, come out, um, you know, and it might be something where they, they there's a situation or a look. It might be something where they, you know, they do it because somebody needs to step off the field. He's obviously only going to be on the field when uh, Jahan Dotson's not because Jahan Dotson's the backup slot receiver um so you know Dotson's playing almost every snap so it's rare you're going to see Lutz in there but it's not a great thing that you have a walk-on uh, as one of your top six receivers um you know and it's we don't know where Cam Sullivan Brown is you know he, he hasn't you know they don't comment on injuries so we can't say you know what the deal is but he has not played yet this season um and you know that's sort of the story of his career he's been oft injured uh dating back to the last couple of seasons um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if that's what it is again here and there, you know, it's a position they're thin at, you know, aside from Dotson and I guess to an extent, George is not really any experience at that position. So it's a lot of, uh, you know, trial by fire with some of these guys. And fortunately for them, Washington has risen to the occasion, but, you know, unfortunately for the program, they needed several people to rise to the occasion because of how dire things had gotten a wide receiver. So, you know, I, you know, in some ways you're counting your blessings that, Hey, at least we got two, but at the same time, you know, there's nobody grabbing a hold of that third receiver spot. Yeah. Uh, I, I, the, the last thing I will say here uh, is because you mentioned him, I believe it's important to refer to him as NFL wide receiver Dan Chisena, which is technically a thing. So that's yeah, nice. Yeah, that's uh, not where I would have uh, expected some people to, uh, you know, if you were making a list of guys that would have gotten there, you know. But, hey, you know, he's a track runner or, you know, whatever. They were trying to – I think he was even. They were even trying to move him to defensive back and try to do a, a late career uh, Troy Apke thing with him. Hmm. But, uh, you know, because I think that was what he he made the the training camp as a defensive back, and then I think they moved him back to receiver and just had him sort of be a special teams guy. Uh, you know, so. Um, well, hey, know, hey, I'm not a scout, so no, you know, whatever. Listen, shout out Dan Trusetta because I didn't see that one coming either. Uh, moving to tight end, uh, this one. This one is actually a little bit interesting to me, uh, Dan, because obviously Pat Fryermuth is the dude. He's always going to be the dude. Uh, should be. He's quite good, even if he's had uh, a few moments this year where uh, you know he's had a couple of drop passes that has stuck out in my head. But still, very, very good football player. I'm more interested in who they have be. Is behind him the right way of saying it, or is it next to him uh, the right way of saying it? Well, you'd say who the, who the you know who the other option is a tight end, I guess, and it would be Brenton Strange, um, you know, and 
I would say in this Maryland game, that's probably the least that Fryermuth has played percentage-wise. It's obviously roll numbers still, you know, 63 snaps. There's nothing to sneeze at, but, you know, out of 100, it's probably the least he's played. But that was really just because at, when the game was truly out of hand, Fryermuth was one guy that they really kind of just did not put back into the game uh, there for the most part in the fourth quarter. There were, I think there were a couple third downs that he that he popped back on the field for, you know, when it was... Uh, not totally out of reach yet, but you know, once the interception happened, I don't think the uh, Fryer, the first interception, I should say, I don't think Fryermuth was back on the field after that. Uh, yes, yeah, Strange has ascended. Um, you know, I don't know if you would say that he jumped uh, Zach Kuntz, but um, you know, because Kuntz was never really, you know, in the mix and it, at all last year. You know, it was Richard Senior, Nick Bowers, who was the, you know, the the second tight end, and they they don't really do a. They haven't really done a, thir- a three tight end package since the uh, the days of John Donovan. Um, and uh, I, that's one thing I do remember uh, you saying on this, the podcast earlier this week that the loss to Maryland was the worst game since you've been a Penn State fan. And I will disagree and say that the it's the second worst game, the worst game being the win that they had over Army in 2015 <laughs> was the worst Penn State game that I've ever seen. Um, so that's that's one that I will I – will, I have a bone to pick with on. But um, – yeah, I, don't, I mean, Zach Koontz was, you know, I think one of the highest rated tight ends that they've ever brought in. He was higher rated than Frymuth, you know, by a slim margin, but still he was, you know, and the thought at the time was, well, Frymuth's a little more game ready. He's going to play as a, uh, you know, true freshman. Koontz needs to put on a little bit of weight. Um, I have uh, heard that uh, his um, offseason was interrupted a little bit by a, something in the realm of uh, injury, illness type of situation that you know, might be part of it. But I also think that Strange, you know, is, is a little bit more of a uh, style-wise, a little more of a, what you want for a guy who's going to be backing up Frymuth in terms of somebody who can, you know, who can sort of play the, the full realm of the position, whereas I think Kuntz's style is a little bit more of the Mike Kosicki, you know, pretty much always going to go out for a pass type of guy. So... Uh, you know, it could just be a style thing, um, but you know, I think that there is possible is a possibility that there is more at play with Kuntz and and him, you know, having hit a little bit of a stumbling block uh, in the offseason that may have you know made it uh, more of a clear path for Strange to sort of take the reins in that second tight end position. And has it been a lot of twelve personnel, or has it been a lot of uh, you know Pat needs a break on this series? Let's get uh, let's get Brenton in there. The Maryland game was the first time that they played a little bit of twelve personnel for them. For really, I mean, they they did it a couple of times in the previous two games when uh, you know the the situation called for it. Um, you know, they obviously don't have uh, you know three receivers that they feel like they have to have on the field the whole time. So I think that they're trending a little bit more in that direction. Um, but you know, it's uh, you know they definitely played a little bit more of that in this in this game. I think there were sixteen plays where. Uh, you know, the two of them are on the field, which is, you know, a bit of a jump up. Um, and the, you know, I, and I think Strange has, you know, has done a, a decent job. He hasn't really stuck out as somebody who has struggled. They tried to run a couple of swing passes for him in the Ohio State game that uh, ended up getting called back because of, uh, because of, uh, well, one was a bad throw. It was an incompletion. And then the other was called back on a, a holding penalty on the outside, I believe by Dotson. So, um, you know, they were trying to get him mixed in a little bit there. Uh, but you know, I think you're obviously you're, you know, your option one is always going to be Fryermuth. Moving to offensive line. I mean, this one, this position 
or, or this position group rather is pretty interesting because it seems like they have two 100% total bang on starters, Rashid Walker, Michael Mennett. They have a guy in Mike Miranda who it seems like they believe is a starter, uh, but they are willing to do a little experimenting there. And then the right side of the line is, uh, seems to be anyone's guess. Yeah, I mean, there's really four guys that are are going to be on the field because yeah, you throw Miranda in there as well, um, and you throw Fries is going to be in there, at, you know, at some position as well. I think that there's a temptation to move him into guard. You know, I think he's a relatively low ceiling player when it comes to right tackle. Um, you know, but they have a, a pretty raw guy, you know, that's next waiting in the wings at tackle there in Caden Wallace. But they gave him a shot in this game. And that's really the first time that they tried this. We heard about it in the offseason of, you know, that they were going to have they were having Fry's play some time at guard as well. And they, they, they showed this for a couple of uh, a few series in the first half, really most of the second quarter. I think if there's one guy who, you know, had a starting position and, you know, maybe losing it, it's C.J. Thorpe. Um, you know, he's always been a, you know, a road grader, you know, a guy who can, um, you know, as a run blocker is going to be, you know, very good. He, you know, he, he really, you know, finishes a lot of his blocks and everything, but he's not the most mobile guy. Um, and he seems to have, uh, in particular struggled in pass blocking, uh, this season. Uh, so they've tried playing a little bit more of, uh, Des Holmes at right guard, although he's sort of, you know, spelling both of them, uh, him and Miranda at guard. Uh, but they tried really two things that were that were new in this game. One was in the in the second quarter, really going heavy with the Fries at guard and Caden Wallace at right tackle. Uh, and in the second half, they had uh, two series where Drew Scruggs made his debut. Drew Scruggs, who uh, missed the last two seasons because of uh, you know really uh, nasty injuries that he got uh, in a car accident, and. You know, great to see him healthy enough to to be in the mix here. And, you know, it seemed like, uh, you know, he did, a, a, you know, a decent job in his debut of getting on the field and not, you know, not, uh, you know, looking out of place. Um, you know, he's somebody who has been talked about as being in the mix to be a, a center uh, after Menet's gone. I think him and Miranda are going to be the two probably next season who they're going to look at as the as the next center, uh, you know, to replace Michael Menet. Um, you know, but, you know, that's obviously a position where they've consistently had uh, players who can play both center and guard with that. Menet was the same situation. Um, Connor McGovern was the same situation. So they always have their centers, you know, with that positional flexibility. And uh, Scruggs seems like somebody who's going to at least be able to give them another look. But that's going to be the really interesting one, I think, is going to be uh, what do they do with, with the right guard position? And if it's Will Fries, is Caden Wallace, you know, going to be able to have a quick ascension to, you know, full-time starter the way that uh, Rashid Walker did a year ago. Yeah, Scruggs, uh, just just in case he's a guy who's kind of fallen off of radars, former four-star recruit in the class of 2018, uh, number 233 player in his recruiting class. And Franklin actually said uh, earlier this week, it's uh, special for the kids, special for the program, amazing what medicine could do now. We never learned the full extent of the injury that he ended up suffering, but, uh, but you know, I can tell you yeah. from having been hit by a car that it's uh, it's bad. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, in, in all seriousness, Dan has been hit by a car. So if he doesn't, and I generally trust his recommendations on things. So if he says don't do it, you should probably listen to him on that one. Uh, moving on to the other side of the football, uh, 
a position that is always interesting when you're talking about Penn State and how it's using players is its defensive line, Dan, because Penn State, you know, during the Sean Spencer era, now again, it looks like during the John Scott era of the defensive line, really likes to get a bunch of bodies in there. So it seems like they have their uh, four guys, Jason Owe, Shaka Tony at uh, and PJ Mustafer and Antonio Shelton starting a tackle. But how are they using their bodies and how are they allocating the snaps given how much we know they like to pl- uh, plug guys in uh, in various situations? It's, as, as you would say, it's consistent with what they've done in past years. I would say defensive end is is probably the, the position where they are really uh, sticking to the script of past seasons the most. Um, but I'd say with both positions, defensive end and defensive tackle, that uh, it, essentially is there's always going to be a rotation of of four defensive ends and four defensive tackles. And you know, ideally, they would be able to get five and six in for both of those positions as well. But that's, you know, I think they would admit is more of a luxury. And so the... Um, the workhorse of the group is PJ Mustafer at defensive tackle. He's playing as much at defensive tackle as as almost anybody has played there percentage wise. Um, you know, it's a position that's tough in that respect to you know to have somebody just with the the effort that you have to put in. You know, every down at that position, it's very tough. Um, you know, physically on people. I remember specifically a game a couple of years ago where. They played. It was one of those games where they had, you know, about 100 snaps on defense, and I think they played Kevin Givens at defensive tackle, who's, you know, was definitely a three tech bordering on a defensive end, you know, which he played, you know, for some part of his career at Penn State, you know, like 85 of 100 snaps at defensive tackle, and he was just gassed by the end of the game, and it seemed, uh, you know, just a poor form on their part, um, and you know, but Mustafer seems up to the challenge so far. They had there have been a couple of instances where that he's played so much that they had to take him off because he was winded. Um, the interesting thing this season at defensive tackle has been uh, how much Hakeem Beeman has been playing. Um, they've changed up what they usually do in passing downs. And what they had done in years past was that they would kick a defensive end in to tackle on passing downs. Eater Gross Matas had done that. Givens, obviously, when he was playing defensive end, had done that. Um, you know, it's something that, you know, plenty of teams do that, you know, I think it's, you know, you, at the NFL level, at the college level, famously in this Super Bowl 52, Brandon Graham, who's a, you know, a well-respected defensive end was playing tackle when he strip sacked Tom Brady. It's something that teams do in those obvious passing situations if they have the personnel for it. But this year they seem to think, um, that they have somebody in Akeem Beeman who he's a little bit of a smaller defensive tackle that he's a little bit more of a pass rushing type player. So he's been in on those downs instead of them ever kicking a defensive end in to, uh, to tackle on those downs. And that's resulted in him playing more. It's had him hop Fred Hansard in the, uh, in the rotation. And, uh, you know, so it's, uh, you know, those are definitely the top three Hansard sort of the fourth. And then this is the first game where judge Culpepper really played at all. He had been the sort of the uh, fifth defensive tackle last season as well. Um, and yeah, but at the, yeah, at defensive end, it's really been pretty consistent. It's exactly what you would have expected. OA and Tony starting Isaac and Simmons is the second unit. Um, you know, Isaac basically sliding right into the role that OA had last year behind uh, Yeter Gross Matos Simmons, basically in the same role that he's been in for a couple of years. Um, and then, yeah, they haven't really had too much, uh, faith in, you know, being able to go to that third, 
uh, you know, the third pairing with either of those, which I think is probably a little bit about, you know, just the inexperience of the personnel, but I think also about, you know, that, that's something that they really like to, to do more of to sort of see what they have in the non-conference and they haven't had that this season. So, um, but you know, we were able to see Nick Tarburton get in there the last couple of games who, you know, had, uh, you know, really not been able to play much at all the last couple of years because of injuries. Um, and Smith Vilbert was the uh, sixth defensive end in this one. He's a guy who played a little bit last season, not, you know, kind of similar to what Beeman had been doing last year. But, um, you know, I think he's somebody who they would look at as being in the mix, uh, you know, next season. Cause I think, uh, you know, there's going to be uh, a lot more shifting at defensive end now, uh, with, you know, Tony and Simmons graduating and, uh, you know, away, you know, very possibly going pro as well. There's going to be, uh, uh, you know, a lot more, of, uh, you know, of, of gaps to fill in there at defensive end uh, going into next season. But right now that's uh, a pretty uh, steady position for them. Uh, real quick, uh, and you did kind of touch on this, but just so I can uh, have it specific to the Maryland game, uh, Mustafer played the most snaps of any Penn State defensive lineman. Second was... Uh, I'm the defensive tackle who played the second most was Beeman. He got 27 to Shelton's 26. That was merely a matter of Maryland being ahead and uh, them just desperate to have someone potentially disrupt Tagovailoa. Correct? Yeah, that's probably a fair description okay. of you know what they were going for with that one. Um, yeah, I mean, they, they didn't really play that much in the second half at all. I mean, and, and it's not that surprising. Maryland was sort of letting the air out of the ball in the second half. Um, but yeah, the, uh, you know, they were, Beeman basically played the entire second quarter, I think, uh, at defensive tackle. It was pretty much Mustafer and Beeman the whole way. That's actually where he got the main part of it. But that was also when, you know, Maryland was obviously moving the ball quite a bit before that. I think they were struggling a little bit with, with Sheldon Hansard. So, yeah, I think it was a little bit of a personnel thing where, you know, somebody with a little bit more mobility there as they were trying to figure out what to do with, uh, you know, Tonga Bailoa. Moving to linebacker, which is, linebacker is a very fun position to talk about with this Penn State team, I think, because there are situations in which Penn State's linebacking core, it could potentially be, a five-star in Brandon Smith, a five-star in Curtis Jacobs, and a five-star in Lance Dixon. Uh, but part of it is positional. You know, none of those guys are nominally a middle linebacker. But also, uh, Penn State has really seemed, Dan, like it's trying to balance. Okay, we have these young guys who have the potential to be studs in this linebacker core, but we also want to make sure we're holding their hand a little uh, and not putting too much on their plate right away. Is that a fair read on it? Yeah, they're, the problem that they have is that their most athletic guys who could potentially be playmakers are all you know very raw players in Smith, Jacobs, and Dixon, as you outlined. I mean, the two experienced guys that they you know have trust in are the middle linebacker, Ellis Brooks, and the outside linebacker, uh, Jesse Lucetta, who you know, are both, uh, not as athletic as the other three. And, um, you know, I think, uh, you know, there, Brooks is definitely considered a short tackler, but he, you know, neither of those guys is really what you would say is a sideline to sideline type player, which limits some of what they can do. Uh, you know, they're not, I would say also not, you know, the, uh, 
you know, best blitzing options as well. So, you know, they're more of, you know, sort of stay at home linebackers, you know, try to cover the, you know, short middle of the field, uh, you know, be able to, you know, do well in the run game. Um, but, uh, you know, you've got Smith, who is, you know, a sophomore, former five star, as you said, uh, but he's a guy that they do not trust to really do anything in coverage. Um, and I know this because every single time there's a passing down, he's the first guy off the field. He's the guy that they take off the field. You know, they're not taking, you know, you would think that a guy that athletic would be somebody that they would want in coverage, but because you know, they don't trust him in those situations, uh, he is somebody that he's the one that they take off for the, the nickel corner, um, you know, the slot cornerback. And, you know, they're doing a similar thing with, you know, anytime that Jacobs and Dixon are on the field, they're trying to, you know, bring them in there, get them comfortable, get them, you know, to understand sort of the decision making that they need to make. Uh, you know, it's it, it's, uh, you know, they're, they're very young guys. You know, Jacobs is a true freshman. Dixon is a redshirt freshman and Smith's a true sophomore, but he didn't play particularly a lot of snaps last year. He's mostly a special teamer. So, uh, you know, they're guys that they're definitely trying to bring along. Um and, you know, it's they've they're definitely guys who could have used some non-conference games to, you know, sort of get with it. And, you know, I think, uh, you know, as much as any position, uh, you know, probably outside of the offensive line, probably getting hurt the most by, uh, you know, the lack of non-conference and the lack of a, you know, a typical offseason. Yeah. And then it looks like and you can correct me if I'm wrong, that certainly not a ton of run of a Charlie catcher is getting when they want to spell Ellis Brooks and they want someone in that position, catcher has been the guy, correct? Yeah. Catcher who did not travel to Indiana or didn't play. I don't know if he was the guy that uh, the unnamed player that had the false positive COVID test or not in the first game, but he was sort of a late scratch for the Indiana game. But the last two games he's been Ellis Brooks's backup. It wasn't clear coming into the season who was going to be the backup middle linebacker. If it was going to be, Lucetta, you know, rotating over uh, sort of how Dotson rotates the slot when Washington's off the field at wide receiver, um, you know, because Lucetta does have some experience at middle linebacker. But, uh, you know, they felt confident enough in having catcher there and they, they wanted to keep uh, Lucetta on the field at outside linebacker. So, um, yeah, that's he's it appears from the last two games that catcher is going to be the uh, backup middle linebacker. And then the last position that uh I'll, I'll just have you go off on is Penn State's secondary as a whole. Um, and when I look at this Penn State team and I look at the position, it, it can be really hard to separate them uh, because corners and safeties. When I look at the position group that I have probably been the most disappointed by, I would venture to say Penn State's secondary because I I just thought they would be much better than this. Before we get into uh, the fact that you know I'm pretty sure you agree with me on that statement, how have they been allocating snaps uh, between the you know four or five corners and three or four safeties that they tend to trust? So I'll defend the cornerback position a little bit. They're in a little bit of a tough spot there. Um, their first two options at slot corner are both not playing. Donovan Johnson's out for the season. He would have been their first slot corner. Uh, and then Keaton Ellis played slot corner uh, when John Reed stayed on the outside during nickel sets last season. 
uh, well, he mixed, I would say he, he was one of them along with Lamont Wade, um, coming down from safety and doing that. But the Keaton Ellis hasn't played this year. He played a little bit on special teams against Indiana and has not played in the last two games. I have no idea what's going on with that. Franklin won't say it's, I'd say probably five times more confounding than the Cam Sullivan Brown thing, where it just seems like he is an unidentified injury. I don't know what's going on with Ellis because he has been on the field, uh, you know, at some point. So, yeah, I don't it. it, it, I'm not sure if it's disciplinary, if it's injury related, who knows? But, you know, a guy who was playing as a true freshman pretty consistently not playing this year. Very strange. So, you know, they're playing a little bit with their hand tied behind their back. I thought that Porter has has shown flashes. I think Castro Fields has done well looking healthier. I'm not sure what they want to do with Marquise Wilson. I think that, you know, if Ellis was playing on the outside, maybe Wilson would be somebody as a little bit of a smaller guy who could play more in the slot corner. Uh, they've been playing Daquan Hardy there. Um, and that's especially in the last game. And that was in response to, uh, you know, making the decision not to play Lamont Wade there anymore. So I would not necessarily say that it's a cornerback issue. I think overall, uh, you know, there, there have been misplays. I think Porter has been out of position a couple of times, but he's also made some, some good plays. Uh, so, you know, you take the rough with the smooth from a, you know, a, a relatively young guy who didn't play much last year. Tasha Fields has looked better. He's really, there, there hasn't been many throws his way, frankly, because I think he's really been blanketing guys pretty well when he's been in, although he did get hurt, uh, on Saturday and did not return, uh, you know, after he got hurt early in the third quarter. So, um, you know, that's something to keep an eye on because injuries definitely factored into his season last year and you don't want to see that again. Um, but so I, I'd say it's not as much a corner. Their safety play has been as bad as the safety play has ever been at Penn State. And you know how many white safeties they've had over the years who who struggled. Um, you know, it's uh, this listen, is not listen, listen man, as uh, the blog's resident Italian, I have an affinity for how Penn State approached safety in the past because they always had uh, guys with names like Drew Astorino and Jesse Della Valley back there. Hey, I'm running a Krausen route over here. Hey, and, oof, uh, but on. And uh, that's what they're saying as they're leaving him. Does. I mean, Lamont Wade in particular has been just awful. Um, you know, and uh, he wasn't great last season, but he had some, you know, he played, uh, you know, a, a sort of a, a chaos game against Ohio State where he was causing a lot of play. I mean, he's he's, a, he's a, he wants to be a ball hawk. That's obviously the t- style of game that he wants to play. And there's something to be said for a guy who, you know, has that nose for the ball and everything. But, you know, he was a little bit too small, a little bit too slow to be able to, to stick a corner. They moved him to safety. And. I don't. I can't tell if he just is struggling to learn how to play safety, or if he's so aware of the fact that he's not as fast as uh, I think he feels that he should be. That he's trying to overcompensate by getting places early and just running himself out of position. But either way, you know, he's uh, not playing within the scheme, and it is costing them big time. I mean, the, both of the first two touchdowns by Maryland were a direct result of him abandoning the side of the field that he he had in the cover two and you know a guy on a crossing route that should have ended in you know with him getting tackled by wade you know maybe after picking up a first down but maybe after 15 yards uh, getting you know an ability to just run the whole way for a touchdown um and they benched him at that point did not play him there after the second touchdown he did not play the rest of the first half and then they just brought him in and played him pretty much the whole second half until towards the end um, I'm not sure if that was just because they thought that Jair Brown was struggling in in, in his stead. 
Uh, I don't think Jaquan Brisker has played particularly well. I don't think that I think his angles have struggled as well. The whole position just looks like a bunch of guys who, uh, you know, don't have a great grasp. But none of them take good angles. You know, none of them seem to, uh, you know, put the safety in the in the name of the position. You know, and play a responsible game on the back end. Um, There's really no positive to take out of any of the players who have been playing safety at all. Uh, you know, Jonathan Sutherland, you know, for the last couple of years has been a guy who's mostly a special teamer. He sort of gets a couple of reps here and there at safety just to, you know, in case they need him later that he, you know, he hasn't taken all that time off, but he's not really a safety that they're going to be using. And, you know, I don't know what that says about Trent Gordon, Tyler Rudolph. I know with Gordon that, you know, with, with Wade and with Taylor, when they moved a corner to safety that, you know, they really gave them a full year of, you know, riding the bench and learning the position before they played them. So maybe that's what's going on with Gordon. Rudolph's a guy who's, you know, obviously going to be a red, you know, is, is a redshirt freshman this year. Sutherland's experienced, Brisker and Wade are experienced. Jair Brown is a Juco transfer, so he's played some. So maybe it's just a, you know, an experience thing, but, um, I would say, you know, to a man, and this includes Tim Banks, everything to do with the safety position has been probably the, the biggest disappointment outside of Sean Clifford uh, involved with this team this year. And I think it's um, permeated out to a lot of the other issues that the defense is having uh, is purely on the, the safety play and just their, their complete lack of confidence uh, that they're, you know people are going to be backed up behind them. And, you know, uh, other offensive coordinators and quarterbacks, uh, you know, uh, you know, looking their chops, looking at, you know, what they can do, you know, going across the middle of the field and going deep on this team because, uh, you know, just of how horrendous the safety play has been. Yeah. And kind of the fascinating thing about safe, uh, not safety, uh, secondary as a whole, is that this also seems to be the tightest rotation of any position that Penn State has on its defense, correct? I don't know if I would say that. It it wasn't really trending in that direction until this most recent game when Brown was playing more because they benched Wade. Um, You know, they were, for the first two games, they were doing most of what they had done last season, which was, um, you know, Wade and Brisker were sort of, well, at the time it was Wade and Garrett Taylor were sort of one and two. And then on passing downs, Wade would often go down into the slot or into the box, you know, to maybe cover the slot, maybe blitz. Um, you know, and then at, at that time, Jaquan Brisker would come in and play center field. And now Brown is doing what Brisker did. Brisker is taking Taylor's position. Uh, so it was consistent with what they'd done before. But after the way that Wade has played uh, at, in the slot, they made the decision to not have him do that anymore. So it was Hardy who was playing the slot corner uh, pretty much the whole time uh, against Maryland. Um and, uh, you know, they had Wade, you know, well, let's just have you focus on playing back at safety. And then in the first quarter, you know, he blows two plays in spectacular flat, uh, spectacular fashion, I should say. Um, so that didn't really work as well. Um, you know, so I'm not sure that they know what they want to do with it. I think it, I think the whole thing is being thrown a little bit into chaos now. So let's move into a few questions to end this, uh, episode of the pod. And we'll start with the position to you that has the least uncertainty as we're trying to project out uh, the remainder of this season for Penn State? Projecting out the remainder of the season, um, you know, I I think that that, 
you know, what I just said when it comes to, um, you know, safety, I think is going to be, you know, important on, on what, uh, you know, what, what's going on, um, you know, but if you're talking about, you know, sort of where you can, you can look at, you know, the, the, I think the, that's probably the, you know, one of the more uncertain ones. I think wide receiver is certainly uncertain. I think right guard is uncertain. I think with most certainty, uh, the defensive end position is absolutely the, um, the, the position that's the most consistent, the one where you sort of know what's going to happen with that. You know, it basically, uh, you know, Gross Matos graduated to the NFL and it was next man up and there was no real surprise to anything that happened with the defensive end position, uh, you know, coming into this. And I don't foresee that changing, uh, you know, Owe and Tony, I think overall have done well. They haven't really gotten a ton of sacks, but I think that they're, you know, overall, you know, doing what they're supposed to be doing. And I think Isaac and Simmons have, you know, done fine, you know, coming off the bench for them. I don't think the uh, four-man rush has been really the issue for Penn State. You know, I think that they've always had games where they struggle to get home. Uh, but I think that that's, you know, a, a mixture, a little bit of, you know, not, uh, I think there's been a consistent problem during the Brent Pry era of them necessarily knowing what their identity is going to be on passing downs. They've tried a lot of things, but I'm not, I don't believe that they've tried a lot of things to great success. Um, but I think the certainty there, uh, is, is pretty set in terms of how they're going to play out the, the, uh, the, the, the defensive end position. And then, yeah, I kind of got into your, I think your next question with where is the most uncertainty, which it really comes in with, uh, you know, I'd say safety, right guard and, and wide receiver. Yeah. I, I'm glad you mentioned that with, uh, the pass rush at the very least, because I, uh, you know, I was talking with, about this with some friends earlier, and I don't think it's, uh, I, I think we have a large enough sample size to say that with this Penn State defense, there is a bit of an issue with how quickly quarterbacks are able to get the football out and with how quickly the front is usually able to get there when the quarterback holds on to it, but it leads me to believe that's probably an issue a little bit deeper uh, down the field with the defense, but that's uh, neither here nor there. Uh, you did. I, I posited okay. a theory recently, and I think it was, you were party to this, or at least it was in something where you were uh, involved in, but I sort of posited the theory that they have a lot of guys on defense that have specific skills specific things that they're good at but i don't think that they have a lot of well-rounded players and i think that it leads to a lot of situations where they are um you know they're they're making substitutions and making changes uh based on a situation because they have certain guys out there that you don't really want in those situations and i think it makes it easier on the opposing team because you're telegraphing what you're trying to do you're uh, sort of showing your hand in terms of, you know, self-identifying your own weaknesses with certain players. You know, I think of, you know, we, we want to get Brandon Smith off the field, uh, you know, in a passing situation. We want to get Antonio Shelton off the field in a passing situation. We want to, uh, you know, make sure that we have, uh, you know, one of these slot corners in there. And now we're not sure which one we have faith in. You know, we, we're worried about the safety position. I think that they uh, show their hand a lot with with some of the things they do. I don't know if that's true but i think it's it's definitely something and i think the 
uh, I think the uh, most fans that have been paying attention would uh, agree that there is something wrong with the way that they defend on third down on, you know, in, in passing situations, those ones, you know, when they try to go to nickel, you know, they have uh, for years now, the, the formula for how to consistently attack those plays is, has really eluded them. So because both of the questions got answered, let's move to the third one, which is what is the position on offense, on defense, wherever, that interests you the most going forward. And I made it a point to say uh, on offense or defense because I don't want you to give the very obvious answer, uh, which is when does Jordan Stout take over as the field goal kicker? <laughs> I'm 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 all for it here. The, the one of the quirky things with that is that Stout is Pinnegar's holder. Um, you know, and I maybe they think that Stout's a better holder. I I, I don't know, but um. The, you know, because I think it was, uh, I think it was Rafael Cheka who held when Stout had that uh, field goal attempt against Indiana, um, who's the, uh, uh, it was the third kicker. I don't know if he still is or not, but um, the, you know, but moving on to the other ones, what interests you the most? Um, I'd say the, the offensive line thing, because I think it's going to be a signal for what's, what's to come, because whatever move that they make, whether it's putting Holmes or Scruggs at right guard, or if it's putting Wallace at tackle, it's going to give you a real look into what the future of the offensive line is, because there's going to be some changes after this season with Fry's gone and Menick gone, um, you know, and, and how things shake out. And, you know, and you want to know, you know, is CJ Thorpe somebody that you can rely on? And you want to know, you know, if, if, uh, Miranda or Scruggs really locks into a, a, one of the guard positions who's going to end up at center. And you want to know if Caden Wallace, you know, can lock down tackle and, you know, have one less position to worry about for a couple of years with him and Walker locking things down. So uh, I think that that really interests me. And I think that that's going to, you know, offensive line has been such a bugaboo for Penn state for you know, pretty much the entirety of Franklin's tenure in, in a lot of cases because of things out of his control, but you know, it, it becomes harder and harder to, make that case, you know, as time goes on. Uh, although, you know, Phil Trotwine coming in with a, a pandemic certainly is, a, you know, a unique situation. But, you know, I think that that, you know, sort of right guard, right tackle situation is probably the thing I'm most curious about here. Uh, but, you know, there are a couple we sort of, you know, touched on them throughout this. But, you know, how uh, the wide receiver position shakes out, how the third wide receiver position uh, you know gets to them they've been looking for that for a couple of years as well and you know can Keandre Lambert Smith you know grab a hold of that position you know can TJ Jones show something or can Daniel George finally pick things up can Cam Sullivan Brown you know get healthy and, and you know make an impact as a possession receiver opposite Dotson uh, you know there's a number of ways that, that can go as well um, so you know I think that the, the ones that you would guess but I think that there are those are probably the ones that interest me the most. And then the last question, uh, the places where you think the rotation can stand to change, and part of the reason why I find this one so interesting uh, is because I feel like the obvious answer we're going to hear out of Penn State fans is, or one of the obvious answers is, you take out Sean Clifford, you go to someone else, a quarterback. But this question doesn't just require removing someone, it requires putting someone else in, and you know, before we get into uh, the other stuff, Dan, uh, uh, just your thoughts on this blanket statement. For how not great Clifford has been, I also feel like he is probably 
comfortably Penn State's best option at quarterback because of what we've seen out of Will Levis and the fact that Taquan Roberson is just so green. I, I think what I would say is if it wasn't Sean Clifford, I would want to see what they have in Taquan Roberson. I would not really care to see what they have in Will Levis because I don't think it's – I think we know that he's sort of a, a Tommy Stevens style, and I don't think that there's a future uh, in that. You know, I'd like to see you know what Roberson can do. Um, you know, uh, um, but the uh, you know because I just think that there's you know stylistically, I think he might you know have a little you know because it, he's such an unknown more than anything else, and he's not a true freshman like like Bowens, and so. Um, the, uh, you know, I, I, that, that's where I would go personally with it. But I think the fact that you're talking about that, yeah, no, I mean, I, I'm, uh, I was surprised that Clifford wasn't pulled. He certainly played poorly enough to earn being pulled. And I don't buy the explanation of, you know, we still thought we were in the game. It's like, well, you know, one of the main reasons you, you know, the game was almost out of reach was because of how poorly Clifford was playing. Um, so, you know, that doesn't really track, but, um, no, I, I I tend to agree with you, and I think that that's more of an indictment of uh, Penn State's recruiting at the quarterback position than uh, you know anything uh, you know else that you know in terms of you know I don't the fact that they're probably making the right decision uh, by keeping Clifford uh, in as the quarterback I think is is uh, an indictment in and of itself. Yeah, yeah, I think that's uh, that's totally fair, and it goes back to the uh, a piece that our pal Sam Cooper wrote about uh, how losing Justin Fields served as a gigantic inflection point for Penn State's program. But uh, see, this is this was why we need the basketball guys in here because we're you know Justin Fields was committed to Penn State as the new Trey Burke was committed to Penn State. Yes, just as. Uh, Everyone who was in this Penn State basketball recruiting class's son. Oh, uh, no, there's still one one kid uh, sticking around. But two of them have since decommitted, if memory serves, which is... Which for is, now. For for now. Uh, I'm, I, I can't wait to see what this recruiting class turns into because I might end up being in it with just what they need. Uh, neither here nor there. Uh, so, yeah. Play- I'm going to become the Joker. <laughs> so, places where you think Penn State's rotation can stand uh to change dan are there any places where you see uh a a guy who deserves to get more time and a guy ahead of him who could stand uh to maybe see their playing time cut back a little i think safety is the obvious position to go to i mean I see very little value because it's a position where when the problem is that they're not playing responsible, they're not doing the basics of the position like it is with, you know, sort of the four guys that are there right now. Uh, I don't see the downside in trying to get a, a Tyler Rudolph some looks or a Trent Gordon some looks. And I know that they're not as experienced and I know that that is going to hurt them, but uh, the experience isn't helping any of those guys ahead of them. So I think that one's an easy one to sort of look at and say, uh, you know, it, everything else you're trying isn't working. And I don't think you can do any worse with, uh, you know, with the, the other guys that are, that are in there. And, um, you know, beyond that, um, I'd probably go back to the offensive line, just say, like, I think, you know, with some of the struggles that they've had, I think that uh, being able to get Drew Scruggs, get a Des Holmes, get a, you know, looks at guard, Maybe even Sal Wormley, uh, you know, and I think uh, Caden Wallace at tackle, getting him some more looks. I think, 
you know, that, that the struggles there, you know, I think that there are, you know, can be internal options. And I think we've seen in years past got, you know, young guys getting more opportunities and being able to grow into those roles, even dating back to, you know, when Connor McGovern was a true freshman. And, you know, I think he was originally rotating with, uh, you know, Derek Dowry, uh, you know, at guard. And I think, uh, you know, getting even, uh, you know, these guys have a little bit more experience than that. I think, uh, you know, if, if you're not satisfied with the play, I don't see why you don't, uh, you know, give them more and more looks as the season goes on. Yeah, that's a, I, I think this is as comprehensive of a look at anything involving Penn State football as we have done, Dan. Uh, thank you for, hopping on tonight and hopefully uh, there is enough that happens in the world of Penn State basketball that we can have as many Penn State basketball podcasts as possible uh, without it being bad for our health. Well, I mean, I, I don't really go anywhere anymore. So, you know, I'll probably be <laughs> probably be around to do more. Um, you know, I, I get I better get started working on some uh, some more research into potential uh head coaches, you know, get it, get an update for people on the next one about who could, uh, who could be on the radar. And we'll, uh, you know, maybe we'll, maybe we'll have an update on some, uh, potential, uh, recruits that they can get in there to, to backfill some of the, the slots that are suddenly opening up. You know what? Uh, I appreciate your optimism there, Dan. I don't know if I share it. Uh, well, we're, you know, there's going to be a coach next season and there's going to be, uh, you know, there are 13 slots on the team that they need to fill. So it's going to, whether it's recruits or transfers or whatever, they're, they're going to need some players. So, you know, and uh, I'm out of eligibility, so it's got to be somebody else. Yeah, I suppose. Uh, yeah, that's it for this edition of the podcast. Uh, thank you very much for listening as always please make sure you uh, subscribe to the pod on any of our various podcasting platforms apple Podcasts, spotify etc if you are going uh through apple Podcasts, please leave us a five-star review there uh make sure you're reading and supporting the site following us on all of our social media channels and p- picking up some of our uh gear we've new hoodie out i think you would love it one last time thank you very much for listening to this edition of roar lions radio for dan smith i'm bill de take care everyone